I'm Aaron Schachter, and this is The World, a co-production of the BBC World Service, PRI, and WGBH Boston. How a president handles a foreign policy crisis is always fodder for political debate. It was last night as the vice presidential candidates traded barbs over President Obama's handling of the attack in Libya that killed a U.S. ambassador. Fifty years ago, it was President Kennedy who was put to the test by the Cuban Missile Crisis and the threat of nuclear war. After a terrifying 13-day standoff, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev finally agreed to withdraw his missiles from Cuba. But documents from the Soviet side suggest the crisis was longer and more dangerous than American officials realized. Reporter Bridget McCarthy has the story. On October 16, 1962, President John F. Kennedy learned from U.S. aerial surveillance that the Soviet Union was installing offensive nuclear missile sites in Cuba. He was stunned. President Kennedy broke the news on October 22nd. This sudden, clandestine decision to station strategic weapons for the first time outside of Soviet soil is a deliberately provocative and unjustified change in the status quo, which cannot be accepted by this country. President Kennedy announced the imposition of a naval blockade around Cuba. He also gave Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev an ultimatum. I call upon Chairman Khrushchev to haul and eliminate this clandestine, reckless, and provocative threat to world peace. In other words, remove those missiles in Cuba, or else. So why did Nikita Khrushchev risk World War III by putting nuclear missiles in Cuba? That's the question that everybody is trying to solve. Svetlana Savranskaya is the editor of a new book, The Soviet Cuban Missile Crisis. I spoke to her outside her office at the National Security Archive in downtown Washington. There is surprisingly, stunningly little thinking on the Soviet side about what happens if the United States responds in an aggressive way. Perhaps because the United States had deployed nuclear missiles in Turkey. Right along the Soviet borders, and that was a constant source of humiliation. So Khrushchev figured he had every right to do the same thing. Khrushchev felt, you know, this is giving the Americans a dose of their own medicine. That's James Hirschberg, a professor of history and international affairs at George Washington University. It's funny, when the crisis began in the secretly recorded conversations at one point, Kennedy reacted to what Khrushchev did and said, it's as if we started to deploy missiles in Turkey. That'd be goddamn dangerous. And his advisor, McGeorge Bundy, has to say, well, we did, Mr. President. Nikita Khrushchev's son, Sergei Khrushchev, is a historian at the Watson Institute for International Studies at Brown University. Sergei says as the leader of the world's other superpower, his father felt an obligation to protect his allies. And when Castro, after the Bay of Pigs, declared officially that he joined the Soviet bloc. He put this obligation on my father's shoulders. So Khrushchev decided to send missiles there at the diplomatic signal. Don't invade Cuba. We are serious. Svetlana Savranskaya says in the spring and summer of 1962, the Soviets were receiving lots of intelligence that the United States was preparing another invasion. And Khrushchev doesn't want to lose Cuba. His most important ally, the ally that's genuine. Plus, it's Latin America. The Soviets don't have real allies in Latin America. Cuba is so, so important for the Soviets. The Cubans weren't just a valuable Cold War ally. They were genuine folk heroes in the Soviet Union. The Soviets were in love with the Cuban Revolution. It was really a love affair. They looked at Cuba and saw their own revolutionary youth. (laughs) 
So all the Soviets, from the top to the bottom, want to help Cuba to fight against possible American invasion, American aggression. Unfortunately, Khrushchev nearly did provoke a full-scale U.S. invasion by sending the missiles to Cuba. And here's where the story gets really scary. Cuba was far more armed and dangerous than the U.S. realized. Svetlana Savranskaya of the National Security Archive says in October of 1962, there were 42,000 Soviet combat troops in Cuba. The U.S. didn't know about them. But that's not all. The Soviets had about 180 nuclear warheads on Cuba. The United States thought there were none. What we know now is without doubt that if there was an invasion of Cuba by U.S. land forces, there would be a nuclear response. And then the United States would have to respond with nuclear weapons. The crisis reached a boiling point on October 27th. Historian James Hirschberg. Clearly the night of October 27th, 1962, goes down as the most dangerous moment in human history. And it's dangerous, amazingly, not because what decisions the leaders are taking. It's because the situation is spiraling out of control. A Soviet commander in Cuba, acting without authorization from Moscow, shot down a U-2 spy plane over Cuba, killing the American pilot. Another American U-2 accidentally strayed into Soviet airspace in the Far East for a couple of hours. And also, by the 27th, we've learned, you had Soviet submarines around the blockade equipped with a nuclear torpedo each. In some cases, or at least one case, and, and the evidence is still coming in on this, arguments breaking out as to whether World War III had already started and they should use their nuclear torpedo rather than get sunk. The next day, October 28th, Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev went on Radio Moscow. Premier Khrushchev has sent a message to President Kennedy today. The Soviet government has ordered the dismantling of weapons in Cuba, as well as their creating and return to the Soviet Union. In return, President Kennedy promised not to invade Cuba. He also agreed to withdraw the U.S. nuclear missiles in Turkey. It was a compromise on both sides. Admittedly, the Soviets had to undo their major deployment. But to see it as one side giving up, I think, is incorrect. Both sides blinked. Americans thought the crisis was over. President Kennedy made it official by lifting the blockade on Cuba on November 20th after receiving assurances from Khrushchev that he'd withdrawn all of his offensive weapons. In fact, he hadn't. George Washington University historian James Hirschberg. What we've only learned in the last 10 years or so is that the tactical nuclear weapons were still there. Svetlana Savranskaya of the National Security Archive says Khrushchev decided to leave these weapons in Cuba. And for some time during November, which we call the November crisis, the Soviet position was that they would train the Cubans to use the remaining weapons and transfer tactical nuclear weapons to the Cubans, which would have been the most dangerous situation. In other words, Cuba almost became a nuclear power. And had Kennedy discovered that after this incredible crisis, this incredible rupture in trust, that Khrushchev was lying again, the pressure to invade, to basically get rid of the threat permanently, would have been overwhelming. Khrushchev changed his mind and secretly withdrew the remaining weapons in December over the vigorous objections of Fidel Castro. There are lots of lessons from the Cuban Missile Crisis. But here's what President Kennedy's defense secretary, Robert McNamara, told filmmaker Errol Morris. 
This is from his award-winning documentary, The Fog of War. At the end, we lucked out. It was luck that prevented nuclear war. We came that close to nuclear war at the end. Rational individuals. Kennedy was rational. Khrushchev was rational. Castro was rational. Rational individuals came that close to total destruction of their societies. And that danger exists today. The major lesson of the Cuban Missile Crisis is this. The indefinite combination of human fallibility and nuclear weapons will destroy nations. But at least 50 years ago, it didn't. For The World, I'm Bridget McCarthy.